<clears throat> okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Your story matters. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? We're gonna juice podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salmali NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Dave Hardesty, also known as Clutch Fans on Twitter. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Salman? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> it's uh, listen, like I, I woke up today very excited, uh, you know, full of hope. Uh, I had I had a bunch of plans ready for today. Pan- plans fell through. Uh, ended up having to watch the game at home. Ordered in. Was still excited. You know, still really excited. And midway through the first half, I was so deflated. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been great. to. I'm a little bit shocked to see UH this far. I mean, uh, what Kelvin Sampson's done for that team uh, has been awesome. And, and uh, they're worthy of it and everything. I'm, I'm pumped, pumped for them. I never thought I would see them get back here after, you know, I'm – Quite a bit older, but my when I was a kid, seeing them in the '80s, you know, five slam and jam and make make the final four consistently. Uh, you have to applaud them for for getting this far. Are you a UH alum? I'm not, no. But I that's actually one of what really got me into basketball. For me, it was football and baseball, 100. I was a huge Oilers and Astros fan, and then it was five slam and jam really that got me into basketball. I was kind of curious about the Rockets, and especially when they drafted Ralph Sampson and. Um, you know, checked in a little bit, but it was five slam and jamma that got me uh, hooked. And then when Akeem went to the Rockets, that was that was it. Okay, so I'm I'm a UH alum, and and when, in 2014 when Kelvin Sampson was hired, I was extremely excited. Like I was telling everyone, like because a lot of people just didn't know who he was, and this is a guy who UH was able to get for pretty much pennies on the dollar because his reputation had been you know scrapped because of a stupid college basketball scandal, and he was like so big for the university. Uh, you started seeing dollars just pushed in immediately uh, as soon as he was hired. Uh, the gym got upgraded. All the all the practice facilities were, were looking nice. I actually w- got a chance to go visit the Fertitta Center, and it looked really nice. But I I just never saw the t- saw the team making it this far, even though they were they were the second seed coming into the tournament. I j- it just it shocked me like. I only wanted them to make the Elite Eight. If they made the Elite Eight, I was going to be happy with it. And and this will look really good for recruiting, you know, making the, the Sweet 16 two years in a row, Final Four this season. My hope is that they get some some actual elite recruits next season uh, and make a good run at it. Yeah, and I think they can. I mean, he, he's put them back on the map. And, you know, like I said, since Faisalama Jamma, you know, I, when, you know, Akeem and, and those guys kind of, um, you know, moved on to the NBA. They had a couple of prospects, but then they just, after a while, just fizzled out. And so it's it's great to see them, uh, you know, sort of come back to prominence. So I'm I'm hopeful of the same. You know, as you're saying, hopefully the next year they'll they'll do even better. I mean, that every year he's been there, he's he's progressed the 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 uh, the program. So I think you know they're they're doing a great job. And what makes me hopeful is that Kelvin Sampson actually has roots in Houston, so I don't think he'll be plucked. Early, that's my hope. You know, I, I don't think he's going to be poached, uh, unlike other coaches who have coached the University of Houston. I, I think I think he is here to stay. Uh, hope my hope is that he can build this for the next fall for the following few years, and you know, 
Hopefully his son takes over in a few years and continues his success. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's actually funny, but I actually thought before they they hired Steven Silas, he was kind of my dark horse candidate as much as crazy as it sounded. No, I I, I heard that name. Yeah, I, I, it was not crazy. He was having such great success that he I thought. He was so close to Harden. You know, he was he, him and Harden are tight. And so I thought. That, that and you got the Tillman connection name. too? Right. But except, except uh, I remember Ben DuBose telling me, you know, is, could you see him hurting U of H to, to benefit the Rockets. And I, I mean, that was a good point. You know, I don't know if he would do that, but still uh, I thought that was a possibility. Yeah. Um, it is crazy, by the way, having one man just own Houston basketball like that is it's unheard of. Uh, like one of the biggest metropolitan cities in the country, just one man just owns the entire basketball sector here. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are here to talk about the Rockets, and I wanted to bring you on for a couple of reasons. One is obviously you were at the press conference with Rafael Stone, where he talked about the much maligned Victor Oladipo trade, and more generally the state of the Rockets. Um, this is Stone's third press conference since he took over as general manager, and I wanted to talk to you about him six months of the job. First, uh, do you notice a difference between the way Maury and Stone communicate with the media? Because it's pretty stark to me. I want to know if it's the same for you. Yeah, huge difference. I mean, when when they announce a press conference with Rafael Stone, it's like, wow, really? I mean, whereas Daryl, you know, was front and center constantly. Uh, you know, I don't want to criticize Rafael Stone for it, but with as many things that have happened this year, as many crazy things, it, it sure would have been nice for somebody, I think, to step up and take some of the heat off of Steven Silas. He had just gotten here. Um, so I would have liked to have seen more from him. I think he's I think he's great. I mean, I think he does a great job of speaking and everything. But, you know, I think we also got spoiled by Daryl. I mean, we didn't hear a ton from Carol Dawson before Daryl got here. I mean, he when he spoke, uh, you know, he he talked about, you know, personnel moves and, and all that, but it wasn't that common. Daryl was was totally unique, I think. And I think we're seeing that more now with with other general managers. But Daryl was certainly as approachable as any general manager of any sport that I've ever seen. So I think he was unique in that regard. But um, Rafael Stone seems to be more guarded. Um, you know, doesn't speak as often. And I'm definitely noticing a huge difference. It really does seem like he's taken on a more conservative role with the media than Maury. And he's pretty much speaking when it's required of him uh, after these big trades, which, you know, it's not a compliment or a criticism. It's just an observation. And he sounds like much more of a conventional general manager than Maury. Like, and what I mean by that is like, whenever I watched a Maury press conference, it was kind of jarring to see how open he was about the franchise's thinking and their reasoning behind moves. Maury keeps his guard down when speaking to the media. And that's kind of refreshing. He's active on social media, which is like unlike his colleagues. And there's never a paranoia that exists when you watch these other 29 other general managers do press conferences and interviews. Like you could always read through the tea leaves and understand what Maury is trying to say, even when he doesn't say it directly. Right. And if you even got the chance to speak to him off the record, he kept his card down even more. Um, that's not to say he was spilling team secrets or leaking or anything. He just, he just thought the keeping things close to the vest was bullshit. And I respected that in this respect, Stone is kind of the opposite. He is, he sounds much more lawyer-like, uh, which is not surprising because he is, you know, comes from that law background. He's very hesitant to divulge information and he's quite crafty at dodging questions. Like for example, I thought Ali Khan Bajani of the athletic asked a pretty straightforward question. I think he asked something like, how would you define a superstar? And do you see someone on the franchise that resembles that or franchise cornerstone or something like that? Right. He was asking, he was, I remember the the actual question. He was asking a a fair question about franchise cornerstone, but, but Rafael tied that into, well, I didn't just say that. And he didn't want to criticize um, you know, he didn't want to say Christian Wood and and or um, Kevin Porter Jr. are franchise cornerstones, or that they are not franchise cornerstones. So he was definitely he was being shrewd and smart to avoid the question. But it you know it was a it was a fair question. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Yeah, um, but I, I could see why he was skirting it. Yeah, it, it was a rhetoric game, right? And like he was trying. I, I understood why he was doing it, but it it, it, it was very off putting in that it, like 
those kinds of questions. And like, I even asked a question, like, have you talked with John wall and Eric Gordon about their future on the team? And he's like, I talked to John and Eric about all, all sorts of things, their families, their, their livelihoods, you know, all sorts of things. And then he just, you know, shifted into a different subject. And like, that sounds like, like any other general manager. Right. And, and that's not, again, that's not a criticism. It's, it's just completely different from the way uh, you know, if, if you were a media covering, if you were, a, you know, a reporter covering this team, like it's completely different from the way Maury did things. He was, he spoke much more like open and candid about this kind of stuff. And he wasn't as, as guarded. Yeah. I think, I think in this, again, I don't want to uh, interrupt there, but I, I think this is very similar. I've tried to put myself in his situation. I think it's the same thing where he doesn't want to insult John Wall. He doesn't want to insult Eric Gordon, but he also wants to make it clear Hey, I'm not consulting these guys. We're in a rebuild. You know, like I don't owe these guys anything, but he can't say that, you know, to those guys. He's trying to say that, you know, he's got a close relationship with them. And yes, we talk about a lot of things, but I think after, especially after they were criticized so heavily for, you know, uh, leaning on Harden or having, giving Harden so much input and control, I think they they probably wanted to avoid that. Again, I'm not, I'm not defending. I just think that's what I, what I saw or what I was thinking he was going with in, in, going with that route and what he was saying sure and and like if you go through each individual question there is like a defense there but like the problem is once you once you look at the press conference at a whole like you just don't get much information out of it right like we're at we're all asking questions trying to gain information from somebody we haven't seen talk in two months and you and then at the end of the press conference like like you'll dodge all these questions and it's like okay we got like so now we know that the rockets are going to spend the rest of their mle for the next two months, right? Like that, then that's like, we, we don't learn much was what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. You're right. You know, it's funny. I remember when Daryl first started, Daryl would come, would, would, it was like gold when he would be interviewed or speak in a group setting because he would say, we feel confident we're going to make a trade. Like before the draft, we feel confident. And again, Daryl wasn't completely raw. He had a lot of experience in, in going through deals, but it also showed how, trade deadlines and drafts, these guys are feel really good about a trade or that, that, that a trade's going to happen. There's enough interest. And then suddenly, you know, the market freezes up or the you know rug gets pulled out from underneath them on certain things. And it happened, I think, two years in a row where Daryl made that that kind of a statement and they didn't make the trade that or, or he said, we think we can trade up and they didn't trade up something along those lines. And I think this know, was so the Andre Drummond draft where like they had a lot of traction for a deal in the top five that year. And it just didn't end up, you know, coming through in the end. Right. I can't remember. Was that the, uh, was it drum? Okay. I remember there was a lot of talk where uh, I think the, the, even the Harden draft, not for Harden, I think it might've been for Rubio where they're trying to trade up. I mean, every year, you know, Daryl was trying to trade up and, and that's no secret, but I think it, it just goes to show like fans love that. Wow. We're getting so much honest feedback, but then when it doesn't come to fruition and that, and then there's a backlash and a frustration. And I think that's kind of what happened here with the Victor Oladipo trade, I think, you know, it, it looks apparent to me anyway, that the person who was the, the, the group, if you will, that was leaking this information to him was the Rockets. Uh, they stood the gain and they also were the ones who would have all that information that was given. You're, you're talking um, about to Woj. To Woj, correct. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't happen. And Woj, you know, for the credibility really didn't take a hit, but, um, you know, the, we all were kind of led to believe the market was for Marlo Depot was better than it actually was. Or if you, you know, uh, go with what the Rockets are saying that it was pretty strong and then everybody froze up or other things came, came to fruition and not to get off went on a tangent, but yes, there's kind of a give and a take or pros and cons to being open as a GM, because if you're going to give out some information, you better be pretty sure that that's accurate information, you know, because the fans are going to count on it. Right. And again, like it, it just to me, it sounds like every other general manager. And, and again, that's not like you can sound like every other general manager and be a very good general manager. How you speak to the media, let, let's be clear. It doesn't freaking matter. Right. It's just, it's just a communication observation. It's just um, it, I don't think it affects at all what the what what the Rockets do. I don't think the posturing works. I don't think any of that stuff actually does anything. It, it doesn't. Maybe it moves things on the margins, but um it's 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 just a small you know small detail i noticed in the press conference sure yeah um other than that 
did you really take anything away from the press conference? Like, did you did you feel like you learned anything there? Uh, I there was actually a small thing because I got you know I got to ask him about the ML, <clears throat> excuse me about the MLE and then about the um, you know I wanted to gather his take on the 2022 uh, Milwaukee unprotected pick, basically swapping that for the 23. And I just wanted I I wanted to ask him or get his his uh, reaction to why that was beneficial. And I have reasons, and I think all of us do, uh, why that's beneficial and, you know, extends the uncertainty of that pick. Um, and, you know, you just, it's just overall better. There, there's the possibility of the double draft that year. You just want to push it out. But I think he said something that he said it extends uh, something along the lines of it creates another year of trading. Yeah. And I hadn't really looked at it in that, in that way, as in like, Hey, if we plan to trade this pick, you know, it gives us an, another 12 months to basically have that pick on the market. And believe it or not, I had not thought of that angle. And I did. So I did learn something that, you know, there. It's I kind think, of that like driving the car off the lot thing where the pick becomes less valuable after you draft after you draft it. Oh, sure. Sure. And then that's for sure. I was I was trying to think to myself, you know, can you explain to us why you think it might be more beneficial as in like the pick could be higher or the draft could be better. But for him, it's more like. Hey, um, you know, it gives us another year to trade this pick. And the, the truth of the matter is, as things shift and, and change in the NBA, and they do every year, um, you know, if you own an unprotected pick and you're willing to trade that, it's valuable. I mean, it just it just is. Now, granted, if you own Brooklyn's unprotected pick this year, which they don't, but if they did, it's not as valuable. There's not really that upside to slip into the middle of the first round or or the lottery. But you're talking a couple years out. I mean. Any franchise, any organization, a lot can change in that time frame. And if you go four to five years out, I mean, nobody can tell you who's going to be the number one seed or the you know the at the very bottom of the league and number thirty four to five years out from now. So anyone who tells you, oh, you know, the Rockets got likely picks picks that are likely to be in the twenties, they're crazy. I mean, because it's just not the way the NBA works and you can just look at it in the past. So to me, anyway, I got off on a tangent there, but to me it gives them another year of trading and that's, that's important because they're looking for pieces and that's an asset that they can move. Yeah. You're talking about the return of the PJ Tucker trade, right? Where they basically swap. Yeah. And it's interesting because looking at that trade now, it seems pretty clear that the return on PJ Tucker was actually like, significantly more than what they got for Oladipo. And I think part of it is, I think the market changed on them with Oladipo. Like Orlando completely shook everything up. And yeah. I, I think a lot of these players just weren't seen as available before. And so people were going to look to Houston for some of these spare parts and they didn't have to look to Houston because Orlando became available and they can yeah, go get exactly. guys like Evan Fournier or Aaron Gordon or Vucevic. And it blew everything up, and I think if had Lowry gotten trade, they they might not have gotten an Oladipo trade. Yeah, that that's true. Um, it's unfortunate, but I, I do think Orlando blowing it up um, hurt the Rockets. Should it have? I mean, it's given as long as they had a time to make a deal. I I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, granted, trading Vucevic, um, there goes two first round picks that were on you know potentially on the market. I don't know if the Rockets were talking to the Bulls or not, but I think. It's definitely some things happened that shook it up or made it um, more difficult for the Rockets to make that deal. I'm just surprised o- overall. I mean, I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm overvaluing Oladipo, even though he's been he has struggled to say, you know, or to question why the Knicks couldn't beat that offer, or or you know, it, it blows my mind. You know, Atlanta couldn't do couldn't do better than that. I mean, even Miami. I'm surprised Miami didn't at least give up a young player in that deal. Um, but you know, I, I think the returns are for Tucker and Oladipo are, are kind of similar. I, I do think it's probably a better deal for, they got for, for Tucker, a better return. Um, but you know, we'll see how that works out next year with how many picks or how many spots in the draft they move up, um, you know, going from say Brooklyn's to Miami's pick. It just depends on, you know, what could happen with Miami? If Miami ends up getting Bradley Beal or something crazy this offseason, then maybe it's not a, a great swap. Right. I, like, I, I'm not saying what they got doesn't have any value, but it's definitely less than what I thought. Like, I, I had that, I had Old Depot projected as like late round value. Like, I thought they were going to get something equivalent to, 
you know, like Josh Green was somebody I thought they could go acquire from the Mavs or a, a Kongwu from the the Hawks, right? Like yes. someone yeah. like that. Like I didn't think they were going to get like a mid-tier asset. Like, like you know, when it, when it came leaked that the, there were offers on the table for a, a mid-first round pick, I was actually surprised. Like they're getting that for Oladipo? Like, because I'm like, has anyone seen Oladipo play this year? He's just been awful. He, even these first two games with Miami, I've been watching Miami. He's been bad. Like he's been, and and I part of it's the injuries, obviously, but part of it's just like he's just not the same player he was in 2019. Like it, right now, Oladipo is not much more than a name and a contract and a contract that's very difficult to match. And yeah. I think Houston also made it more difficult upon themselves. And I think they were seeking, uh, or they weren't willing to add future money in this deal. I, th- I think it's pretty clear that they might have been able to add a better asset had they taken on more years on a contract. Yeah, that's possible. I think the the you know it, you can't criticize the Rockets for you know being unable to take advantage of the market if it if there was no market, right? Right. But you can criticize the Rockets for choosing Oladipo and then you know they went out and got Oladipo. They didn't he wasn't like the only thing that Brooklyn could include because it wasn't Brooklyn's. You know, they flipped Levert. And again, I'm not a guy who thinks they should have kept Levert. I just mean you know, obviously they didn't get an asset that was as flippable or as movable as they thought. So they misjudged Oladipo there and then you know basically got scraps going into the uh, you know into the trade deadline. So I, I think you have to when you're when you're grading the Oladipo trade and blasting the Rockets, if if you are blasting the Rockets for that trade, you have to l- look at why they went and targeted him and then you know sold him for significantly lower uh, just a few months later. So yeah, he wasn't great, but I think his age is not that bad. He's coming off a of, you know a significant injury from a couple years ago. He should be you would think a little bit better th- than now, but you also have to think to yourself if you put Victor Oladipo on a team that has a lot of weapons and it's not. Victor Oladipo is the best player on the team. You would think he would be better than this, you know. Not, but we'll see. We'll see what the future brings for him. But he wasn't. You're right. He wasn't great with the Rockets, um, and it was just an unfortunate thing all around. They they targeted him. They wanted him, and then they had to basically sell him for just pennies on the dollar. Yeah, he had eight points tonight in 29 minutes, three for 13 from the field, um, five Ooh. assists. Like it's it's. Uh, two days ago, he had six points, and he was like two for eight from the field. Like he, he has not looked good, and um, I, I just, I just think the, the original sin is what you should criticize the Rockets for. Why not just take Levert? And it's possible they, they just wanted the space, right? Or they just wanted the flexibility, of, you know, in taking an expiring contract. You know, my question is, okay, now, now, what do you do with that space? Or now, now, what do you, you know, what do you do with these cleaner books? Yeah, for me, it's like I want to have the same knowledge that Rafael Stone and uh, you know Patrick Fertitta have. Like w- those guys know what they could have done or what the market was actually offering. So you know, I don't, I don't have any Karis Levert regret. I only have Karis Levert regret in the regards of could they have gotten something different? Could they have flipped Levert for you know an expiring in a first or something? You know, instead of just Oladipo because. They didn't get anything all that substantial. And, and, you know, just having the lottery protection on the Miami uh, pick swap just bothers me, even <laughs> though I don't expect I don't expect Miami in the lottery next year. It just bothers me because, you know, it's a significantly limited upside, in my opinion. I mean, if they move up 10 spots, that's that's good. I think that's, you know, David Wiener pointed out that's probably more valuable than than two second round picks. And he may be right, depending on where those seconds are. But. You don't know that. We don't know what the, the you know where Brooklyn and Miami and uh, you know maybe even Houston, though I doubt that they're they would be involved in the swap next year. Uh, where those picks are going to be, and so for that uncertainty, it's just not uh, a huge value on the swap. Hey, it's Solomon again. This time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. 
or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras. So you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Say, show me my driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. Get all this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me or us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Right, it's funny. Like if if you're a Rockets fan, like you, you're now ro- rooting for Miami to fail this season and next season. Oh yeah, it, and it, and forever. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, yeah. Now we we really don't like the Miami Heat for the next couple of years, and that's what I find myself every night, man. Honestly, I'm watching games and just pulling for teams to lose. I'm finding a lot of games where I'm like, I want both of these teams to lose. I mean, there was what Portland and was it Miami or Portland and. Um, Milwaukee, I think, played yeah uh, last night, and so um, you know Rockets want both of those teams to lose, and so there's there's just every single game you would think has no ties to the Rockets. There's a team you want to win and a team you want to lose. Generally speaking, for every game, because you know whether it's the Hawks, you want them to pass the Heat, or you know, or you want the Timberwolves to to pull a game out, you know, and, and win a game, and. and so it's fascinating, you know, when you're in that lottery position and you also own draft capital from other teams, every game of every, you know, every team's games matter. By the way, it was kind of brutal watching Stone make like his first rookie GM mistake with the media. Like he basically said that we need to judge him on the Harden trade in 2030 rather than right now. Which is in substance, he's completely correct, right? Like because those picks extend out onto 2028 and you know like obviously you don't know what the rockets are going to get in 2028 from those picks i don't they don't i don't think they go to 2028 there's only 27 yeah, i'm sorry i'm stuff. sorry yeah, 20, yeah, no, you're right. yeah um yeah. so yeah so we we won't know what those players are going to be into in 2027 we don't know how bad brooklyn's going to be or even if they're a middling team what the rockets can manage to get in that draft and what that player eventually ends up becoming or if they trade the picks we don't know what they're with the byproduct of that trade is going to be. So in substance, he's completely correct, but a lot of people are going to read it as don't fire me until 2030 or don't judge me on my performance until the specified date. And I don't think that's what he was trying to say, but everybody on that zoom call knew immediately how it was going to be perceived when he said it. It just made me cringe on his behalf in the moment. Like he's still clearly getting his sea legs under him with stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, nobody's going to be given a, a nine-year window, right? I mean, that's just that's not happening. Uh, it's technically right. He probably shouldn't have said it, but it's uh, he is correct. I, I do think, though, overall, you know, when the Rockets flipped Oladipo and got, you know, Olenek and, and Bradley back, and those guys, 
or at least Olenek certainly have, have been pretty solid. I mean, probably have contributed more to the team than Oladipo did. But, um, you know, when he got those guys back, I mean, how many tweets did you see? Like, you know, the Houston Rockets for James Harden got nothing more than Kelly Olenek, uh, Avery Bradley, and a few picks in the 20s. You know, and, and you're like, what can you say right now in 2021 to refute that it's pure ignorance, but what can you say? And so that, and for that reason, I think Rafael Stone's correct. It's going to take a few years to judge this trade, certainly, but putting it out to 2030. Yeah, that's where I think we'll be judging that trade beforehand. I, what I didn't really particularly like was him saying, I would not, I think he said this. I I may be wrong. I would not change the Westbrook trade, you know, trading Westbrook for Westbrook, excuse me, because we were trying to win and all that stuff. Ah, no, that, he did that say that. Just, yeah, he did. Yeah, that was just a mistake, period. I don't care if you're trying to win. I think he said, you know, we would do it again. I'm like, no, that's not a good sign for me. I don't want to hear that from my GM. I want to just hear we messed up, you know. But, um, you know, uh, though that's the one I think that caused me some concern. But, uh, you know, otherwise I think he's done a, a solid job. I, I, I do. I think – He's identified some guys. I mean, I think right now his, you know, Christian Wood was a great move. I think him getting Kevin Porter Jr. for free is probably, you know, for me, the thing I like the most right now because I'm hoping that he can be a guy that, you know, is a ball dominant player for a, a playoff team uh, who can develop into that role and to get him for absolutely nothing because of a, you know, a spat and a situation that happened in Cleveland. That's fantastic because I guarantee there are probably several teams who were willing to make that same offer, but somehow he pulled it off. Yeah, uh, so I'm glad you got to, to, to this because I, I'm I'm looking at what he's done, right? So Stone's made nine trades and drafted one player in six months. He's acquired eight first-round draft picks and four uh, first-round pick swaps. So quite a lot of activity for such a short amount of time. A, a lot of this is obviously the stripping down of the roster for – uh, for veterans, and that includes James Harden. Um, and I agree, he's done a pretty good job at refilling the coffers. Uh, if you were to give him a grade right now on those first six months, what would you give him? Uh, I'd probably say a B. I think he, he got a raw deal. I mean, everybody you know left a sinking ship. And you know, granted, it was a promotion for him and a, and a great opportunity, but I mean, he had a lot to deal with. He bringing in a new coach, um, you know, Westbrook, your, your two stars both want out. Um, you know, you traded Covington. I mean, he, he had a lot to do in a short time frame, and he couldn't just sit back and wait for the offers to get better. He had, you know, Westbrook wasn't showing up to practice, so they ended up pulling the trigger on that. And obviously we all saw what James was doing in Houston, and that was, you know, not – certainly not giving it his all in my personal opinion. And so I think, you know, he's been under a lot of pressure and I think he's done a pretty good job. I, I think if you talk to even Daryl, when he was here and you go back and look at what Daryl, you know, said about Rafael Stone and his, the confidence he has in him. I mean, you have to believe in him. I think he's done a, for considering that they're doing a rebuild, I think he's done a good job. I think there's just been a couple missteps and mainly, it's not the Oladipo trade with Miami. It's the complete Oladipo package. Part of hard, you know, getting him hardened, and then what you what you were able to do with him, uh, you know, what you got for him in return. It's kind of like the opposite of what Sam Presti's been doing with OKC. He's been, you know, picking up distressed assets and and getting positive assets to take them off the hands of some teams, and then flipping those assets for positive assets and. Um, I want to see the Rockets be that kind of smart, shrewd organization. I think they are. I just think that um, that you know they've had a couple of missteps. I I would probably give them a, a B plus. Like I, considering that the handy was dealt, I really like what he got in the Harden trade for Houston. Like I I thought I still to this day I'll take that package over the Ben Simmons package just because the amount of unprotected picks and pick swaps that they got the fact that they were all unprotected that's to, to me i still would have i still would have done that deal to even even knowing that they screwed up the old depot part of it i still think it's the better deal and you know we'll see if i'm right we'll see if the, if it, if that bet pays off for houston obviously we won't know for quite a bit of time because we won't know how brooklyn's going to be in 2024 or 2026 or whatever right it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a little bit of time before we know how those picks convey but 
considering where Houston was at the start of the rebuild, just no assets to speak of, uh, no draft picks in, in the short term to speak of, right? Obviously, they have the next two picks coming up, but after that, they were pretty barren. And considering where they are now from that point, they're in a much healthier place for a rebuild than they were back then. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they've got two years, you know, knock on wood, they can pull off a top four pick this year. If they don't, it's going to hurt. But I think um, they've got two years where they own their pick, their own pick outright before the Westbrook trade obligations come back um, around. So, I mean, hopefully they in two years they can make significant progress. I I agree with you on trading with, with Philly, but only because I, I d- don't know what those picks were would have been that Daryl was offering, and I don't believe Daryl was offering a single unprotected pick, unless it was like this year's, or I don't even know what his pick situation is. I think he's got maybe two picks to deal, because I think he traded it 2025 to OKC to get rid of Horford. But I think, um, you know, he... I cannot see after what we saw how the whole Westbrook trade with Chris Paul and, the, and those top four protections on there. I can't see Daryl trading unprotected picks. Um, not, he, I can see him saying, "Hey, I'm giving you Ben Simmons, you know, and and say Thibel or what what have you. You know, I'm not giving up unprotected picks. I'll give you a couple first. I, I think I prefer to see Brooklyn's, you know, the the trade package that they got in, from them as far as the draft assets. I just need to see Brooklyn start to crumble." in about a year, you know, I need to see that, you know, kind of like what happened with golden state. Like, okay, we either accomplished it or we didn't. And it's time to move on. You know, we've got a couple player options. I believe Durant and uh, Harden both have player options after next season. Um, hopefully things start to, to go differently in Brooklyn at that point. Right. They shorted the medium term for Brooklyn, right? Like the, the, they weren't, they know, they, they know very well, Brooklyn's going to be a pretty competitive team the next few years and their pick swap this year is obviously worthless but you know the value lies within the the latter half of those of those picks and i think they see a potential lottery pick there right and i think if one of those picks ends up being the lottery this trade ends up looking a lot better than it does today yeah and and you know forecasting this out i just don't know if tillman fertitta is going to keep those picks i think he's probably going to find a piece or two, whether that's Christian Wood and, and Kevin Porter Jr., um, you know, and that they like and they can start to build a foundation on, and then they're going to look for another significant piece and, and package some of these picks. I'm not saying it's the right course of action, but I, that's what I think is going to happen um, because I just can't see him saying, yeah, I'm willing to, you know, to wait this out when they've got the 2024 and the 2026 unprotected picks and swaps. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I, I love that deal. I mean, I, I didn't like. I think they could have done a little bit better uh, overall. And and you know if if Philly was offering a bunch of picks, I don't think they were. But if they were, could you have you know taken Ben Simmons back and flipped him for a bunch of picks? But you know we could do this all day. But I think to get the kind of picks that they got, I'm happy with it. Yeah, and trading Harden's it's a no win proposition. Period. It's James Harden. You're going to lose. You're not going to win any trade. You know. So anyone who says, "Oh, look where the Rockets are now," I mean, they were. Their hand was forced, so it's not like they're trying to win now the trade. They're trying to win long term. Yeah, and I, I, I again, I always thought the salary filler on that trade was always, always going to be like ten to fifteen percent of the trade. It's always going to be about the picks. If they were trading with Brooklyn, the players coming back didn't really matter. Like, sure, Levert would have been much better than what they got, but Levert was probably going to be flipped again. Like I, he's not going to be a part of the long term future. I'm almost certain that the Rockets would have traded him within one or two years for uh, one or two more first round picks, right? And uh, at that point, it's like okay, they could have had one or two more first round picks, and they didn't get that in the Harden deal, yeah. right? And, and, and yeah, and you know, it's funny people yeah out there after the Oladipo trade were really mocking and criticizing the Rockets. Just wait till the playoffs come around, and I guarantee you, Rocket fans will be mocking and criticizing all those teams that did not pony up and step up to to make the James Harden trade. Because there's going to be a handful of them that could have made that trade and didn't, and it's going to backfire gloriously on them. And I'm looking straight at Miami for for starters. Um, you know, even Boston, everyone laughed about you know suggesting offering one of their one of their young players like Jalen Brown for him. I mean, they would be, I think, with a guy like James Harden, a title contender. 
they may not be the favorite, but they're right up there. I don't think they are now. Um, and, you know, Philly, I think they would be probably the number one team if they had James Harden and, and uh, Embiid. And they're very good right now. It's it's but, hard to it's hard to fault Philly out of all teams that did not trade for James Harden like they were the number one seed in their conference. Yeah, and I think they have of all teams they have the best chance. I mean, this is my personal opinion of beating Brooklyn, um, just because of the Embiid factor and, and you know some of the defensive players they have. I mean, Thibault and Simmons are elite defensive players. Uh, you know, as far as going up against superstars, so I I guess I can agree with that. I just think. Of all people, Daryl Morey knows how great James Harden is, and he's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, who would have thought when they made this trade, wherever Harden went, that he would be considered the leader uh, in the MVP You know, this season, given how things fell apart in Houston? So, I mean, can you think of an MVP who was trade? you know, basically had some sort of problem with his team and was traded mid-season, an MVP candidate, very strong MVP candidate, I guess the only one I can think of in recent memory is like Melo, but Melo wasn't like the top of the MVP leaderboard when he was traded. Like he was very much looked down upon for this, the ruckus he caused in Denver. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, but it's just funny. I mean, there were so many reports, you know, like, Oh, he wouldn't fit heat culture or he's a poor fit for Denver and all this different stuff. And you're thinking it's James Harden you know, they will fit around James Harden. Uh, offensively, there's there's not going to be a problem. Uh, he's just that great. And so, you know, to me, I think what he's doing in Brooklyn with KD out and with Kyrie in and out of the lineup um, is just basically pie in the face of all those teams who didn't, didn't you know, offer a guy like Ter- Tyler Hero in a, in a bigger package deal. So um, we'll see how this plays out. Miami especially, because they basically like had the audacity to like give out the rough equivalent of a press conference, a press release, basically saying, we're not in the James Harden sweepstakes anymore. Like They, they told every single Miami beat writer that they weren't trading for James Harden all at once. And it was like, really? Like, is this really what you want to do right now? Like this, you think this makes you look better? Like, I, 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 I don't understand the logic there. Like, okay, so, so you don't want in on a seven-time All-Star, you know, two-time potential MVP winner. Like, it, it, it made no sense. And the Denver thing, like, okay, so like the, I, I get it. Jamal Murray is really exciting, really good young player. I don't see any universe in which he gets to the caliber of James Harden. I don't care how well he played in the playoffs last year. I thought the idea that he was untouchable was laughable, right? In a James Harden sweepstake. And I still, I think it's even more laughable now because I mean, what they're the fifth seed in the Western conference who doesn't believe that they have a legitimate chance at being the primitive favorites to come out of the West. If they didn't have James Harden, if they had James Harden, right? Yeah. Harden and Jokic. Are you kidding me? Like you're telling me that can't be the favorites in the Western Conference, I, I, they would be my favorites. And but the thing is, they probably could have gotten Harden without giving up uh, Murray. I mean, they probably could have Porter you know, Jr. MPJ and, and yeah. yeah, and a bunch of picks. And you know, and there were still people saying he wasn't a fit there, or even the leak from Boston that you know uh, we that we were looking into it, but we heard some things from Houston, and we decided we we need to be staying away from James Harden. Whatever hogwash, you know, it's just the whole thing. You, you you can see the games that people play. I mean, even even look at how Miami got Oladipo. I mean, the Rockets caved, but I mean, they weren't offering hardly anything. So I, I think they all, you know, Ainge and and Riley play hardball, and in this case, it backfired on both of them. Right. Um. So you mentioned something earlier that that, that caught my attention. Like, so you talked about the potential building blocks on this roster. So you actually believe there are building blocks on this roster right now? No, I, no, I don't, I don't know that for sure. Okay. I, I don't, right. I mean, I think there's potential in Kevin Porter jr. And I, I think right now I'm, I'm not criticizing Christian Wood, but there's a lot he has to prove um, to before saying this guy's a, I agree some sort of cornerstone. I think, you know, he, he was great with Detroit to end, you know what the last 20 games or, or however many it was, um, which really played up to this contract. And he is still capable. He's shown that he's capable of that. But at the same time, he, his teams haven't won uh, with him as a piece. Uh, so he's got a lot to prove. Kevin Porter Jr. is very raw but has a lot of uh, potential. I think we need to see more uh, 
you know, just growth and development out of him. That's all we're looking for. We're not looking for this guy to, to come in and dominate. He's shown some flashes, I think, against Brooklyn. There was some moments where you kind of stand up out of your chair and you're like, yeah, this is fantastic. Um, you know, right now, I think it's just still too early to tell. I mean, if the Rockets were lucky enough, again, please be lucky enough, would get a 14% chance right now of getting the number one pick. I mean, if they got a guy like Cade Cunningham and he was ball dominant, I mean, I don't know, you know, how that would work out with Ke- him and Kevin Porter Jr. Where, you know, you're, you're, which one's your lead guy? But I, th- I mean, obviously, it's you're building on Cunningham at that point. But, um, you know, I, I just don't know if they have that right now. But they have a couple guys that are interesting to watch. Guys that, you know, hey, I, I want to see more. And Jay Sean Tate is looking like he's going to be a very good role player in this league. I mean, he just he is so. Those three right now are the most interesting to me. How they handle Eric Gordon and John Wall moving forward, we'll see. Um, but uh, they just need more of these type of players, more young guys that are prospects that you've got a three- to four-year window because of the rookie contracts that you can see how they develop. Yeah, like when I look at the Rockets right now, like I, I don't even think they're at phase one right now. They're at like f- phase point, point five. Like they're they're so far from being a relevant team, and I I look at the, I look at the piece on their roster. Yes, they're really interesting. Some some of these guys are really talented. Christian Wood, really tracking uh, talented, intriguing player. I don't think anyone on this roster is untouchable. And again, this idea that there is somebody that may or may not be untouchable on this roster to me is laughable. Right now, Houston is in like asset acquiring mode. Like, or they should be, they should be thinking that way. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it will depend on, uh, you know, let's, if the Rockets don't get a top four pick or if they're four or something along those lines, let's see where other teams, you know, where they fill out in the draft, because I think, you know, the Rockets could look to move like a guy like Christian Wood. I'm not saying, I'm not saying in any way putting him on the block or any of that. I'm not, I'm I'm not. You you don't want that mafia coming after you. (laughs) Right. right. I'm not saying that in any way. I'm just saying if, you know, a a guy they look at and say, you know what, this is our center of the future, you know, let's, let's go there again. They're pretty invested in Christian Wood. So I'm not going necessarily down that route, but anything can happen when you're totally rebuilding. You can, you can, see things change. And, and uh, I mean, if I remember what was it nineties or early two thousands when, you know, Elton brand was the the key guy for the Chicago bulls. He was a young player, rookie of the year, uh, you know, with Steve Francis. And I think he was in what year two or three. And then they traded him to the Clippers in order to get, uh, I think Eddie Curry, maybe it wasn't that one, or maybe it was for Tyson Chandler, one or the other, but they wanted the, the, like one of the uh, two of the top three or four picks. And so you never know. I mean, Elton Brand was their franchise cornerstone, their piece, and they shifted. So when you're rebuilding and you don't know your future, anything can happen. I just don't think anything has happened that says they're going to shy away from those guys right? Like just yet. Well, it, I think these next 20, 30 games are going to tell us a lot. And even a more recent example, like the Clippers just traded Shea Gilgis-Alexander because they wanted to compete right now. For like they they got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and part of that part of that was giving up a part of their future. And yeah, like Shea Gilgis, really talented player. I'm sure the Clippers would like to have him. I don't think they're I don't think they're up at night regarding that trade. Right, and that yeah, and that was a unique situation, obviously, where it was a package deal, as you know. And so yeah, at that point, yeah, we're gonna have to trade some young players to get you know two unique talents that you know or ma- makes us instantly title contenders because they went from sort of that you know young scrappy team, but. But yes, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, anything can, if the Rockets were fortunate enough to have some mega star free agent, like show interest in them, then yes, every guy is going to suddenly be on the block in order to make things happen. But, um, you know, right now, again, the, the, in my opinion, the focus should be on this draft and there's nothing they can do any differently than what they're doing. So it's not like they need to change anything. But boy, they could really, really use some luck. This this entire city could use some luck uh, and you know, landing a, landing a top four pick. And really, Cunningham would be great at one. But like, you're not going to go wrong with you know they have the four or five prospects that you have at the top of this draft. You're going to get somebody who's a piece, a, a good player. So that's what the Rockets really need. But 
you know, it's a coin toss. It really is. That's the best odds you can get. I think there's a lot of people out there who still think, oh, if the Rockets keep losing, then their chances are going to keep improving. Now they can't get any better than where they are right now. Um, they just, you know, need to stay in that top three and preferably three and, and no better. I might have to live stream this lottery. I mean, like, what, what, what do people use nowadays? Is it Periscope? Facebook Live? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Whatever tool that people use nowadays to live stream stuff. Like, I'm, I might need to do that because I'm ecstatic for this lottery because it's, it's not just the Rockets that have high stakes. You know, uh, like, like the Timberwolves have a, have a swap that's yeah. potentially really of interest to them. Like, it could really change. You know their franchises fortunes could change on a swizzle on a swivel for them. And it's like, it's this idea of a three team swap that involves two teams that are in the lottery are just unheard of, completely unheard of. Um, and I, I can't wait. I like, like the amount your franchises for fortunes change. If you get a top four pick is crazy. Like you gain so much leverage in trade talks. Uh, not only just, because you have that that pick, but because you can you have more leverage to trade future picks, right? You're more willing to trade future picks if you have a for certain lottery pick this season, right? Like so many things open up for you on the trade market, not only because you get that asset, but because you have flexibility to do other stuff. Like, for example, I think, you know, the Pelicans were much more willing to do the Anthony Davis trade after they, they won the Zion lottery. Right. Like stuff like that happens when you win the lottery. Yeah. And they, they need it. I mean, this has just been an entire season where they've just been bruised and battered, you know, literally and figuratively. I mean, they've had all kinds of injuries, but they've also just taken so many hits in the press. And, it, you know, it's just they, they need this. They need to win this. And, and frankly, it's going to be either either a major win for OKC and a, ma- and a major loss for the Rockets or vice versa. I mean, it, people can spin it either way like it's a bonus. But no, if OKC doesn't get this swap, it's a major hit to them too. I mean, they have obviously a lot of other picks. But the way they're playing, I don't think they're likely to get in the top four. Um, you know, they're sort of in the mid to late lottery. I mean, anything can happen. But, you know, they blew it entirely up and they're, they're counting on getting some pieces here too. So – it would be a big loss. I don't think they were pretty excited when the Rockets started to lose early on or traded Harden, but now it's so bad with the Rockets that uh, you know there's a risk for them to to get absolutely nothing out of the swap. Yeah, and the way we view the Westbrook trade, uh, obviously, it's still it's going to be a bad trade no matter what happens in the lottery. But, oh yeah, but it, but it does it does help Houston a lot in terms of the optics of that trade if they win this lottery because you go from giving up automatically first first draw the hand a lottery pick to giving up you know uh whatever ends up coming up in 2024 2025 oh it'll be if the rockets have to end up giving up say the fifth or sixth pick to, to okc uh you know in a swap and the rockets fall back to say where miami is and that's in the 15 to 20s not the end of the world for the Rockets, but as you mentioned, it. I mean, it, the, the the pick obligations haven't really even started. You know, I mean, you've got the twenty twenty four and twenty twenty six picks that I think are top top four protected. Those are just outright picks being sent, and then the twenty five swap I think is top ten protected. But the, you know, that's supposed to be the bulk of it. Um, so if they end up having to, if they end up making the swap now, ish, boy, it's going to be a painful couple of years just talking about that trade. Yeah, and again, like we talk about it being a coin toss, it really is a coin toss. When you look at the 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 very very small history we have, like I think literally half of the teams in the top 4 swap out every year. Uh that that's the way it's been going. Like last year, uh, two out of the four teams like Cleveland and Chicago came out of the came out of the top 4. Uh, two, the year before that, I think three out of the top four teams came out. It is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Teams at number 10 are jumping to the top two. It, it's it's complete. The, the, flattening of the, the flattening of the lotteries had a monumental effect on the draft. Um, right now, Houston sits at a 27% win percentage. That's brutal. At number two, uh, num- they have the second worst record in the league, just behind Minnesota. They're at 245 
Chicago, uh, Detroit's right in front of them at 28.6. So that's that's pretty much where you want to be if, if, if you're Houston. You want to be in that top three to keep that 52% odds. You can't get higher than that. But at the same time, you do not want to fall down to 47%, which is basically the rung right beneath that 52%. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just funny. I don't know if they overcorrected the lottery. I mean, obviously tanking was an issue. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it used to be where literally you were the worst team, you got the number one pick, or it was a coin flip between the worst team in the East and the worst team in the West, which was also ridiculously lopsided. Um, I, you know, I, I think maybe it's overcorrected a little bit. I, I do like that it's not just the worst team in the league that has the very best chances. I like that they make it the top three. Just not sure it's um, you know quite as tilted to the to the losing teams as it maybe it should be, but um, you know we'll see. This, this is going to be a big one, and it's one the Rockets just cannot afford to lose. They, they need to make this much more higher theater. Why is this only half an hour? Like why why isn't this on inside the NBA? Why why is Tatum doing this? Like why can't Silver come out here in a tux? Make this as dramatic as possible. Have the actual general manager for every team out there, even though we know that it's not the actual lottery, right? The lottery happens like a few hours before we actually see it on TV. But but like, why can't we see the actual thing? Like, I I I want like the highest drama possible for the television product. I don't know why it's just like a oh, it's right before the first game of the playoffs, I think, right? Is, is that where the lottery is? Um, I don't think it's the first game of the playoffs, but I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, I thought it was between the, the uh, conference semifinals and the Something like and that. The yeah. Western Conference Finals. I can't remember, but it's it's a little bit later in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, like, like I, I, I want it to have its own specific date. I want it to, I, I, I just want it to be a higher priority thing because it's become a more chaotic venue. Yeah. It, I mean, I think there's they've they've tried so many different things, all the way back to you know thirteen envelopes in a in a you know a bouncing ball and a ping pong ball, frozen and, envelope. Yeah, the frozen <laughs> envelope, right? I mean, just all different kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, as long as they've got witnesses back there, I think Zach Lowe has uh, witnessed some of these in the past. Kevin O'Connor, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as they got witnesses, I'm okay with it. It's just, um, I just. <laughs> I want to witness is, it though. I, I I want to witness it from my tell. I, I I don't know why we were all not witnessing it. Is there, is there just such a paranoia that people are going to view? I, I think it would open themselves up to a lot of scrutiny. I mean, it's the smallest little thing becomes a conspiracy theory, and we're going to break down um, the tape. <laughs> like I, yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah. Um, and so I I don't know, but I I um I don't want to be that that representative of the Rockets or the Thunder. That, that's there live and sees the swap, you know, either go or disappear. That that would be a painful situation to be in if you're the losing side. So you're telling me you don't want to see a sweaty Gerson Rosas up there, uh, just <laughs> watching <laughs> watching his team's uh, lottery fortunes hang in the balance. Well, Gerson's. I mean, uh, I think he does a fantastic job. But I, it's. Uh, I, I don't. I actually don't think that team, Minnesota, is going to be this poor next season um and so i'm sure he's hoping to keep you know get that top three pick keep it and you know i i would be willing to bet he rounds out that that roster with with some more solid veterans maybe even a pj tucker uh just guys that can help more um and that would leave golden state in sort of a different situation if they if they can get you know, say in the late lottery or fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, June twenty second, I, I believe, is the date. Uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, I definitely want to do something around it because um, it is madness. Like just, just the um, the amount of high drama in this thing. Um, yeah, and that it, it would be like I said, catastrophic. Or it would certainly hurt if the Rockets lost there. The actual draft this year is going to be bananas. That's going to be fun because, you know, we're expecting the Rockets, not expecting, they will have three first round picks. I mean, Portland and Milwaukee are not going to fall out of the playoffs. Um, and even in Milwaukee's case, I believe it's only top nine protected. So um, they'll have those two picks and, you know, whatever pick they end up with out of the swap. So uh, it's going to be a fun, in my opinion, draft for the Rockets. 
yeah and their fans yeah i i think so too and you know they, there's also the possibility that if if they don't get the pick they can try moving up i don't think they'll get a top 4 pick but you know they could try packaging these picks and try getting up higher in the lottery. We'll see. Uh, it, it, there there could be a bunch of different scenarios there. Well, I guess we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, Dave, where can we follow you on Twitter and listen to your podcast? Well, it's uh, at Clutch Fans is the Twitter account. The, the website's ClutchFans.net, and um, we have forums and podcasts on there, and uh, just talking rockets pretty much twenty four seven. You know, and. and uh, it's, a, it's always a fun time. Maybe this year is not as fun as it's been the last several years, but it's been, it's certainly, uh, these are the diehards that are always talking about, you know, how we can build this team and, and what's going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. So it's, it's fun. Thanks so much for coming on, Dave. Thanks for having me.